hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paul Wiseman, and today I'm lucky enough to be chatting with actor, voiceover artist and impressionist. It's Lewis McLeod. Hey, Lewis, great to chat with you today. Lovely to chat to you, Paula. How's it going? I'm good. I am good. So usually I like to start by talking a little bit about childhood. It's something we don't generally know too much about for actors and all that kind of thing. So you're from Glasgow originally. What was the young Lewis like? Um, <laughs> what rating is this? I swear. <laughs> you can say whatever you like. The pain in the arse. No, uh, <laughs> I think um, it's funny as you get older, you know, your memory packet sort of diminishes through the years, you know, but I, I can remember um, having a good laugh most of the time. I was, we, we were brought up in Bishop Briggs, which is just outside Glasgow. And we moved to a little village called Torrance, which is a couple of miles along the road in 1979. And it was the change of schools, going from Auchinairn Primary School uh, until 1979 to Torrance Primary, and having a whole new friendship circle was the greatest adventure I think I'd ever been on. Because as a kid, I was always desperate to get out of the street that we were on. Yeah. A hill. And either side of it was, uh, the top end of it was the school, and the bottom end was just Bishop Briggs. But you know what it's like when you're a kid, you sort of walk up a hundred yards, it's like a bit of an off pole. <laughs> I wasn't a particularly fit kid, you know. <laughs> but getting the bikes and, you know, we used to go on adventure trips and stuff like that. Yeah. It was literally just down at Bishop Briggs Town Centre. But I had a good time, you know. We had uh, we had kind of a wild 70s upbringing, I think. My oldest brother is a musician and was in a band that was trying to become a rock god back in the 70s. And, uh, <laughs> Drove the neighbours mental because he was in the garage playing guitar and writing songs and stuff. And my middle brother, Callum, he was the entertainer in the family. Callum's very funny. And he, um, sadly, he passed away in uh, 2020. But um, right. his my, my memory of him was just the voices and impersonations of everybody. And I can remember being about four years old going to see him doing a talent contest in the Briggs Town Hall. And it was at the time when... A lot of the mimics were pulling hats out of boxes and things like that. And Auntie Mabel made him a whole set of funny hats to wear. Oh. So it was like for my next impression. But something must have stuck because uh, we, we started finding cassettes of my two brothers impersonating Monty Python characters. And it was something that my, my parents encouraged, particularly with my dad. Um, he thought it was great to stick the mics on the table and have them entertain. So there was a lot of comedy and a lot of, a lot of laughter around, mm. you know, in the house. And we've got family who were in the industry and my dad's sister, she was teaching drama and she then became sort of the head of the faculty out in Huntingdon near Alabama. It's where they filmed Big Fish, the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and so she was, she had a zero budget and uh, but she was <laughs> very resourceful, making wigs out of carpets probably. You know, but but <laughs> my mum's side, uh, there was my cousin Heather, she was in The Sound of Music, she was in the movie The Sound of Music. Oh my God. Yeah, she was the second eldest daughter, Louisa, sadly no longer with us, but she yeah. uh, she was fantastic. And what at the hell? time, so about 76, I would be getting told about my cousins and my aunts and you know and stuff like that, and the fam- getting to know the, the wider family. And I vividly remember getting mailed through from the States, and it was a tube with a poster. She was in a TV series called Logan's Run. Oh my God, that was a huge series. Yeah, well, the, the film was particularly big. I think it was, um, was it Susanna York was in it, I think. I and so she she was, she was Jessica Six. That was her thing, and that, that was a big series for her. And she married Robert Urich, who was a huge star in a minute. Yeah. 
uh, Dan Tanner from Vegas. So I, I kind of got introduced to America. I was thinking, my cousin and acting, and, and it sort of so sewed something, you know. But mm. by the time I would be sort of 10, 12, I was really thinking about, you know, wanting to entertain because it was something that we were doing in the class. But it, it, I started emerging as a sort of mimic, I guess, <laughs> from very young. And uh, I guess it would be my brother's influence, Callum's influence, and uh, and their their watching of comedy of what we had then. Um, and it really, when Kenny Everett, mm. we've got video recorders and I'm starting to tape, uh, even an audio cassette, anything that I found funny, I was recording and, and playing back repeatedly so I could sort of understand it and, and uh, personate it, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, what did you, what did your parents do? Obviously, all you, all you kids were very, very talented. And uh, what did your parents do? Well, my father was a cop. He was a detective. Oh, my, mother, my gosh! Yeah, he was a DS. He's, he was a good storyteller, and yeah. he was a beautiful letter writer and avid listener to Radio Four. He was forever phoning in uh, to get in Radio Scotland to get his penny, pennies worth and two pennies worth or whatever they paid. And um, so he, he was always away on shifts and he, he worked four shifts I think it was day late night and back shifts so he, mm-hmm. I don't I remember him around absolutely but he was grafting a lot and my mum she worked uh, she was at home a lot she was um, looking after us but the jobs that she did her mother had a, a news agent in Springburn and uh, she worked in there from time to time and uh, so they you know they were both busy and mm-hmm. It's sort of, I don't even remember we had childcare actually. That was a thing. You had ants that kind of looked at us and said, We've had enough, we kind of deal with that's them. key kids. <laughs> exactly. But the, but the, I, it's vague that memory, but I remember my dad retired in 1986. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think he was, he was sad to leave, they call it the job, sad to leave the job. Mm. And, um, but I, I, I can remember when my career's advisor, I think that I'm, I'll give it a go and I would I think I'd been a fourth generation if I had joined and I think I had it in my head that if I if I didn't get something I enjoyed doing out of the mm. business I'm in now by 27 I think I thought well that'll just join the police and I'll just, you know. no but it's weird isn't it that none of you went down that path as you yeah. say it's usually quite a natural path for for kids to go into the whatever trade their their dad is in you know like family business mm. kind of thing absolutely yeah that's that's a thing and uh, well Donald you know, being the guitarist, the musician, mm. he did really well, you know. I mean, he had, a, they signed a deal with MC <laughs> Records and then went indie. And their music was good. He's a good songwriter, my brother. I mean, he's a fine guitar player, but uh, the, the sort of, I think it's difficult to sort of pinpoint exactly this is the, you know, the, the day that you kind of go, ah, this is it, right? Mm. In the moment. And it may have been when my father paid for an ad from my brother's band, I went into the local radio station and uh, came back and uh, dogged school and came back and went, oh, this is the best day of my life. This is <laughs> I did a voice over thing. You know? That's lovely though, isn't it? That your parents were so, so you do what you want to do. Do you know what I mean? There was, there was no oh, yeah, they, Very much so. They, they never forced us any, any way in, uh, to do, you know, something that we didn't want. You know, in fact, I can mm. remember being a presenter and thinking, you know, nerves would get the better of you. And I remember I'm taking into the station and I'm going, do you want me to just turn the car back? You know, I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I'm maybe just feeling a bit nervous as that. You know, he would make these huge leaps to, right, well, then we'll just kill it dead. Right, back to the house. And uh, I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, no, keep going. <laughs> Push on. 
But um, yeah, the the career side of it, I, I can remember the voiceover side because when I was about fourteen, I remember going to the cinema to see Romancing the Stone mm-hmm. feature Johnny Dangerously on first, then they had Romancing the Stone, and I remember seeing the trailers at the beginning, and it was Don LaFontaine going in a world imagined a time. <laughs> And I just remember sitting there thinking, that's magic. Who's this guy? I want to do this. You know, this is a, you know, uh, not realising that you had to smoke a bit, drink a bottle of whiskey and then <laughs> do it. But, um, no, you, that, that was, I, I think, moments like that, you can, I remember thinking, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, I mean, did the acting bug, I suppose let's call it, did it hit quite early? Was that something you wanted, you'd kind of thought about at a young age? Or was there, oh. a, was there another plan? Yeah, well, I think so, because I think I still kept it. It was my aunt, Fiona, she had beautiful handwriting. And she introduced me to a book by Charles McGaw called Acting is Believing. And I remember reading about 20 pages of it, and it was psychobabble to me. I couldn't <laughs> physics, if acting was physics. Yeah, yeah. All the all the mathematics that I'm crap at, you know. But it was, it, it was enough, because I must have been talking to her about it, and she'd sent her resume, she called it, you know, and mm. sort of wrote this lovely letter, which I've kept. And so she must have seen something in me that that showed that I, I wanted to do it. And I was I was performing at school and shows and things like that. But by 16, 17, right about then, I, I'd, I'd started getting gigs. You know, I was I was well, actually working. You remember? At yeah. Seventeen, oh. getting you know job offers to do stand up comedy. And so yeah, I did start very young at it. And by nineteen, I was. On the tell, I was on BBC One. I was on a sketch show with um, David Schneider, Richie Francis Dodge, Susie Aitchison, Mike Haley, uh, up to something, which was one of the last sort of mainstream sketch shows yeah. that went out. And uh, so by you know by the time it's 1990 and I'm only 20, I'm unemployed going, right, well, what do I do now? You know, because we've taken a huge leap here. But there wasn't, a, I didn't go to any classes or anything. I think I... My my own sort of this thing about mimicry. It's very difficult to know exactly that moment where you start doing it, but it mm. must have happened very young. Uh, I I started to, you know, work it into routines that I would, you know, I'd, I've always been good at voices with characters. So I yeah, I'd yeah. just I was writing, I guess, my own monologues, and I remember reading Liz Lockhead's True Confessions at school and just howling and thinking it was the funniest thing I'd ever read, and. <laughs> Probably because I was reading it and uh, reading it out loud and, and, and the character voices of her monologues. So yeah. it's like once I discovered that, an outlet to sort of perform, however, you know, at, at home or, you know, with friends or actually on stage, I, I used that. Mm. It's crazy though, isn't it? To have that drive, you know, there's so many people I speak to, they've gone to college because they, they don't really know what they want to do. They kind of start something and then this other... The career path sort of happens by accident. I mean, the the voice work uh, side of what you do is is huge. It's a huge, huge part of what you do. So, how soon did that aspect come into your? So, were you? I know you said you were part of this sketch show. When did the voice acting aspect? Well, I I think it was the first thing. It was probably the first professional engagement I hmm. had. As I said, you know, my dad he paid this. He paid us. It was something like three hundred quid to get an ad on Radio Clyde, and. I, it was a 10-second ad that went out late at night yeah. and all these things, price point, you know, of, of variables. Of, you know, so 300 quid, 
you know, they'd say, well, we can play that uh, between uh, two in the morning and everybody, <laughs> a few in your place. And um, managed to have me do the ad. And um, I can remember even the guy's name, Steve Tom, he directed it. And he said, oh, that sounds like my brother's got a band and I don't give a shit. Because apparently I'd, I'd read, <laughs> fantastic new Scottish band, The Crows, live on stage at Rooftops, April 10. Be there. <laughs> And uh, so I got instantly coached, and it wasn't the first time, you know, that I can remember when I did Star Wars, I'd never worked with ADR, you know, that automatic, and that thing, it goes beep, 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 and then you speak. Yeah. I was standing there, George Lucas is next to me, behind oh. a curtain like the Wizard of Oz, and I'm standing there looking at a screen going, what the hell's this? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. And I just remember looking at the engineers, with, then you could smoke back there, and he was looking at me, going, well, that's a half a second wasted. And then I just spoke. And then we did it again. So take two. He only used three takes, but take yeah. two, I went, oh, sorry, I've got to speak when I hear that third beep. I mean, it was, it's nuts. But that, you know, but when going back to that first ad when Steve, I, I remember that moment because I realised, yeah, I've got to really believe this and mm. do it. And so we belted it out and it went on air. So that was my probably my first gig <laughs> and probably my first oh, my God. shot at it, you know. And, uh, and, and so the... After that, it would probably have taken maybe I don't know three or four years before I got another voiceover. But um, it didn't really kick off until you know ten years or so later. You know, when I went to London and got a work agent because, and that's when I guess my life changed completely because I moved down to London um, and and joined a kind of uh, a kind of fraternity of VOs that, yeah. that that we're all pals to this day. You know, we. Um, I just didn't realise there was a community like it is now. It's it's insane. It's massive. It's um, I I remember I've got memories of you know actors talking to me. Well, darling, it's not theatre. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's not that you know you need to get you know into the provinces and do the classics. <laughs> and and there was a sort of disparaging element to it because I a lot of people. But you're not really an actor. You're 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 working in marketing, aren't you? I said, well, no, okay. And it was just something I didn't quite believe about that, the, the attitude towards it, because it's work, it's regular. I was doing yeah. promos for TV channels and it built up from there. And actually, I got more breaks doing voiceovers than I did actually going up for jobs with my acting agent. There's so many different facets to it as well, isn't there? I mean, mm. your your impression range is is huge. I mean, you know, Jeremy Vine, Jeremy Vine, we're here. Well, we're here thank you often. so much today, Paula. Thank you for that very kind comment. But I saw you cycling between the yellow lines just as we came up to a box junction. And it's not very safe, is it? Well, in the studio. <laughs> Who else have we got? Christopher Walken? Oh, Walken, yeah. Um, see, the thing is, right. It's quite difficult. I would say it's the... quite difficult. Well, he was. I, it was truly romance. That that monologue. I I used to do that as a. I'd, I'd go out with my mates and I'd, they'd say, "Hey, do that, do that scene." I'd say, "Guys, it's ten minutes." And they go, "I don't care." And in the background goes, ah. and I'm going, "Sicilians are great liars. The best in the world. I'm Sicilian. My father was the world heavyweight champion of Sicilian liars. From growing up with him, I learned the pantomime, and I would do the whole scene." Oh, my. And uh, it's, it's, it's horrific. But you, the more drunk you'd get, you'd forget, but it's just me. But it's all I'm Glaswegian, you know. Um, but I, 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 that's, that's a thing. Is the, I couldn't help it. It was, it was almost like, and I still do this, where there's something on the TV, well, that's a great voice. Uh, you lock in some element of it, some facet of it, and um, that sort of, 
I remember somebody saying to me with Trump, it was like, you've made him likeable. This is really <laughs> fine. Years ago. Like, what do you mean? As, as I believe it starts, it's, for me, it's the writing. It all starts with the writing. And, yeah. You know, so um, I couldn't believe that comment because he's a smart guy. This, you know, I'm going, oh. yeah, I'm it. And I started looking at it, I was going, well, you know, there's a sort of, uh, you know, quality to say, I don't know, certain voices, you, you kind of capture the the mood they're in at that moment. But when it's, I think, more evolved, yeah. divine impression, it's there's there's elements to it that yeah. you, you sort of fuse together in, in one pass, you know, you, uh, and, I, and I think that's maybe the skill of it for, for me is that it's to, to capture these little moments and mm. just a space in a paragraph that for go on, I think that, oh, that's right. He does, oh, he does that thing, you know. <laughs> that's, I, I find that usually satisfying with somebody. Yeah. That thing that he did. That, yeah, yeah. I, you know. I mean, even people like Boris. I mean, Boris must be. <laughs> I think he did, thanks, Paul. Well, I, the, I found, because see, voices, there's, there was Nick Clegg and David Cameron, and everybody said, you know, can you, you know, can you do Cameron and my friends, or, you know, even our, our producer, Bill. Yeah. And Dead Ringer says, can you do Cameron? And I said, no. And actually, none of us really can. Rory's brilliant, but mm. he's phenomenal at it. And he, but yeah, I think he only actually really nailed it uh, when he had weeks to go, um, which is always a bit unfortunate. But I, I had that problem when I was doing Cameron and uh, Nick Clegg. Yeah. I always felt they sounded the same. But that, it, it's just that I couldn't find the handle to get in the... Uh, to get the caricature, whereas with Boris, it was foie, right away. Ah, um, and I, I think we sort of, I think from my work that I do with Private Eye Live, um, they'd written in ah, I think it's P W uh, P W W A H, <laughs> but we sort of we just embellished. I remember we didn't really know because he gave T T T T T R, you know. So we took that almost like a CD skipping. Yeah. Uh, we just took that to extremes and to see how far it would go before his, as I call him, would go, ah, there is now. <laughs> Thank you. That's too much. Uh, uh, and likewise with the Dead Ringers, but to the point where what does the audience expect out of this? If they go, right, okay, yeah, uh, we get that. But I actually know the more the more that we would open up a Boris sketch with, I see what. <laughs> uh, they would roll. They loved it because it, it, it's. It was nuts because he does do this thing with yeah. Oh, 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 thinking well, speak. <laughs> you know. But I mean, isn't it? Like, obviously, you know. As I say, you started off with the voice work. Was the impressionist side of what you did? Was that a learned skill, or did it come quite natural to you to to mimic? People's voices. That's a very good question. A learned skill. Well, actually, yeah, I think it is. Everything's learned, you know. It's mm. French, shabby, godless. You know, some people have an ear, for, ear, an ear for it. Do you know what I mean? And they could, they could just naturally do it. But I'm so success has many fathers, failures of oh. them. That's what you said. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that it's uh, well, it's there's there's many ways to look at this. I, I I think that we're who was it? They said it was it Roger Waters or somebody made an observation about it. There's a musician. It was Roger Waters. He said, "You know, you, we are born with, but you know, thirty thousand mm. facets of memory and things that we can do. But one of them clearly is to, is to learn routines and you know things like that. So I think that vocally, because my family were doing it, and we had quite a funny family, and it was everyone's got you know everyone's shouting for attention, and yeah, I think it was just that might have been the learned part of it, just to sort of copy. Well, that seems to work, and you know." 
if you you know you're in a group of people and then they're all laughing at the same time it's a phenomenon you know to make somebody to make a room full of people all laugh at that precise moment mm. uh, so the learned skill of it i think would probably be by repetition and just to practice you know and to not because it, it's like a songwriter when yeah. do you finish when do you finish the lyric when does yeah. the song become so good that you you can't really take it any further and i think caricature blended with vocal accuracy and uh is it's as close as we'll get it ai is completely usurped everything oh my god yeah you know because it's now just a cut and paste you just literally it, it's it's really extraordinary and it emotes as well it can mm. it understands that sort of stuff so if we're a dying breed then <laughs> before the dark days well, it's funny though when you look back at the mike yarwood you know mike yarwood in the in the 70s you know, he was one of the biggest names of the names oh, of yeah. the day. And it, views and, exactly. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, recognising the voice. It, obviously, if you're working on radio, you want people to know who you're meant to be, who you're meant to sound like. You know, it's a, I think it's I, a I proper skill, I, Lewis. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you. Because I see, there, there is a kind of camaraderie with us all. And I, I, I get asked to do voices and I say, no, no, that's Alistair McGowan. I mean, Alistair... Is brilliant at dialects. I was never. I would never say I was that great at dialects. So yeah. we presume that you are, and I could probably do them quite well. It's just a circuitous route for me to, to to get to that point. Whereas with Alistair, I used to joke when I'm right, give us an SW10 accent, do it in a postcode, because he really was phenomenal at that. And yeah. Whereas I, I, I don't know what aspect of it. I got very quick at just um, because of satire and mm -hmm. man's just being around the table and having to put your hand up and go, no, I can do that. Before you, before YouTube, it was literally, you know, we would have to find recordings and we'd all be going around with cassette players and playing them back. Whereas YouTube appeared, we, we kind of had the instant access to it. And so I, mm -hmm. I think the learned skill was to do it quickly, to get the voice to a reasonable point where it's, yeah, you recognise where it becomes something a little bit more profound is perhaps the, well, if the tonal thing is, is weird, then that you can, then, it, you know, then, then you've really achieved something if you're doing so. It, but that again is practice and you can only really do that. I think being Scottish, I think I probably got an advantage to sort of others where I go, you know, I do a voice, this posh English, they go, but you're Scottish. And I think, well, it's really matter. <laughs> And a producer once said to me, she said, oh, yes, but it's the Scottish air. I th I, see, I don't even agree with that. I think that it's just anybody can do it. Mel Blanc's son, I believe, did it. So you can learn it. Anybody can do it. It just, uh, having me, you know, me being the youngest, but then there was nine years between us, and I was yeah. sure of it for attention. I think I just had to entertain myself, and I really studied it and practiced it. And I didn't do it for any other reason to make myself laugh and to entertain my pals. I think that was it. <laughs> Yeah. That's what it's all about, isn't it? If you, you know, entertaining yourself first and foremost. As I said, you do a lot of voices. Do you have a favourite that you enjoy doing more than any other? Um, oh, there's so many I like doing, but they, they, I've used them. And remember, Janet Brown chimed with me on this <laughs> one, that she was great. The lady, she was incredible. Her, oh, I, I mean, she was brilliant. She talked talk like that, Lewis. You know, I used to play Kate arguments with them. I said, I don't blame you, you know. You know, she'd be sitting around the table and the writers would be arguing over a, a point in the gag and she'd pipe up as Thatcher and it really just <laughs> I found that you can, voices can be quite useful for uh, for answering in a tone if there's some 
something that you don't want to sort of jump in as because you know this broad Glaswegian. So you you pick a voice that. Yeah, I, I think I've always liked actors who you know well people like McKellen. McKellen, yeah, <laughs> uh, languishing on the text. Oh, that's all about the text. And uh, so there's that. But again, it's they're in newsreaders. I used to love doing Jon Snow, Channel Four News tonight. And I used to go in and do voiceovers, and he, if he was in before me, he'd believe we messaged for all this stuff. That's <laughs> great, isn't it? Hello, Lewis. John Snow here. Good luck with your reading, and don't forget to tune in at 7 o'clock tonight on Channel 4. I'm kind of obsessing a bit at the moment on Jordan Peterson. I'm, I'm really enjoying... You know, I'm just listening to his... Um... <laughs> I need to hear him, but he's got, he's got a fascinating voice. And you better bloody well know that, because life is different. <laughs> he's, he's terrific. And... The voice that they use when they're on the telly against the voice that they use, say, when they're performing. If some mm. minister's doing a speech, it's always a different sound to when they're being interviewed. I found that with Trump, you know, I couldn't do his voice when he was at the stadiums. But they... When he was talking to Barbara Walters, I remember, <laughs> I realised, Barbara, I was the only guy for the jab. And um, I thought I could have a go at that. I think I could manage that. And um, But the trailer voice, I think, was probably one of the ones that... I, I just loved the idea that there was yeah. somebody talking to you you know, not very often, but just enough that you could just about tolerate it. You go flee in the building, you know. Imagine a world. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> you know, just a moment. This this guy, I just thought it was such a lovely <laughs> See, imagine a world, imagine a time and sell a minute. <laughs> so what's he like when he's talking to his wife? <laughs> yeah. What are we having for dinner tonight? Well, honey, I was thinking about going with the broccoli and stilton soup. Now, oh, honey, you know that I'm 48 stone. That's about 477 pounds. <laughs> I want the full rack of ribs. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's incredible what you do, Lewis. You know, as I said, it's a, it's a proper skill. So talking a bit more about your, your voiceover work. So how does it generally work with voiceover audition parts? Do you get approached like a normal acting with, with a job? Yeah. Is it like normal jobs and you're you're auditioning, you have to audition for a part? How does it generally work with voiceover? It's becoming more American, I think. In America, you audition for everything. And so you could be sitting next to some superstar and everybody has to be on the same, they're on mm. level with that. But over here, I think that when I started, you know, in Rytel, brilliant, Jonathan Kidd, brilliant. There were a lot of guys that were working, that, you know, and it was all about the, the real. If your real was really good, you know, if it was strong and they in the 90s again I mean it's hard to believe it's not that long ago that we're, tape, we're cutting tape with razor blades yeah, yeah, together yeah. Things like that. and so going through even from tape to digital I was there with a you know not even having a mobile phone using a pager call boxes to get you know to get jobs and things but the the circuit in Soho was populated by by you know many that are still working today but the it was more of a um, a group that had just built up a reputation and mm. just getting book bookings automatically. I had to go through a slightly different process, of course, because I had to convince the client that I was able to do an English accent. So, yeah. you know, I'd walk in and with the name McLeod and yes, and walking in and you're there to do the Sunday Times was quite tricky at first because you, you know, that, that again, that was another thing I really had to practice hard was was the not so much. RP English, I don't know. The yeah, yeah, not I mean. voice. So that commercial voice, which you'll only ever use for 
you know, commercials, but actually as, a, as an accent, it's, it's a voice that I, it's just, I'm an autopilot now with it. And I, and I, I could act in that voice because it's depending on the, the sell of the product. It's, a, it's an accent. My English accent is now I'm much more comfortable with it as opposed to going in and saying, hi, how are you doing everybody? Oh yes, I can do English. <laughs> and um, you know, a friend gave me the advice, you know, if you're doing the uh, voiceover, do the English version first because it is the hardest for you to do because that's not your native accent. Yeah. And so that got much easier by just the, well, we have this Scottish guy in, and like, yeah, we'll get him again because hey, his English is pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and a lot of it was for economy as well. If you were doing a product that needed, you know, multiple different accents and dialects. I remember working with the airlines when they changed the, cigarettes to that that rangefinder green that they used to have was like and then uh, they actually had a voiceover they had me you know in various accent yeah dialect i guess talking to the staff they got this staff training thing where the yeah. stewards stewards and stewardesses would be told that you know if passenger for example in 14a is unhappy with his silk cut box because it's green say the following that's crazy <laughs> oh my god it's got many applications and um i love that you know there's there's there are all these little sub industries that yeah. do that, that you know narratives are there was a guy who was working very very regularly and uh, did extraordinarily well david tate his name was i never got to meet him he died the year i started in london and he yeah. he had this reputation that he could walk into the studio sit down and there was maybe i don't know 100 pages and he would just sit, look through them very, very quickly. You know, don't talk to the clients we waiting on. Is it going to be much longer? And he said, okay, I'm ready. And he would just read the copy in one take without any mistakes. Wow. So I had photographic, eidetic memory. I don't know what you call it, but that's the sort of aspirational stuff. You kind of want to be that good because the client just doesn't have the time and there's too many people doing it now, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you do seem to have this very sort of strong comedic streak also in, in what you do. And it must also help with the, the, a lot of, you do a lot of kids' TV. You've done a lot of kids' TV in your... Yeah, in your, I was a presenter. Your... I was, stand-up comedy was the starting point. And from mm. that, I mean, I remember Scotland playing Sweden. This was 1990 <laughs> and, yeah, 1990. And there was four people in the in the class, because like, they were all watching in Scotland and I, there was one woman in the audience, and I got onto the stage with me, and we sung a song together. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I think we were doing, but she thought this. Was, and the, so the, the the three remaining audience thought this was hilarious. We had a right old party to ourselves, us four, us <laughs> <laughs> five, really, including me. But it was a very um, cool thing because she got up on the stage and turned out she was a producer for that. She was freelance and she went to work for Time Tees. And so when my audition tape went in for a Saturday morning show called Gimme Five. She went, oh, I remember him. And so I got an audition. So I did all right in the audition, the first audition, and then it got really difficult, you know, because I got introduced to the thing called talk back. And I was really bad at splitting my brain between talking <laughs> to the telly and listening to them in the gallery. Right now, I've got a camera for, listen now, we're going to cut this interview short, and I need you to walk. Halfway across the, 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 the studio. Meanwhile, I'm talking like this. Well, you kind of just want to go, ah, oh, shut up a minute. I'm talking to the television camera here. Right. Sorry, I've got somebody yelling in my ear. Um, coming up in the program, you just can't do that. <laughs> so I had to learn that side of it. But I got the gig, and from that, I got animations and got to do quite a few cartoon voices for various shows over the years. But 
The presenting side of it was quite short-lived because I was pretty ropey at it. <laughs> each to their own, each to their own. Yeah, I, mean, but, I mean, you ended up voicing the postman Pat. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a pretty cool gig to get because Ken Barry, who had been working on it, uh, what a lovely man. He Legend of a man. He was a hammock. He did. He was a Sinatra impersonator. He did and, loads uh, of voices, didn't he? On the on the even yeah. on Post and Pat, he did all the different That's voices. Right. He was PC Selby. He was Alf the farmer, and he played. I think he might have been Ben at the Just the Cat. And the, well, no, that was that was somebody else. Thing. And <laughs> yeah, uh, that was. Can't remember who voiced that, but <laughs> it wasn't. This was quite expressive, though. <laughs> Well, yes, of course. The meow. I try. Yeah. The meow. Oh, quite, quite moving. Um, I'm going to play Alf the Farmer. She's like, it's always sounded a bit pissed. Hello, Pat. Hello, Alf. Well, how are you doing, Oh, I'm not too bad. You like a little bit of potato cordial, Pat? No, thanks, Alf. I'm driving. <laughs> and um, and Ben Taylor was up here. Pat, where are you? And I made a Rod from Bagman's voice because he, he is quite high in the register. And he's like, you know, Pat, I noticed you're 20 minutes late. Look, Ben, I'm talking to a horse. <laughs> uh, so, so if I had a cold or anything, uh, if we'd been out for dinner the night before, I'd go in. Ben Taylor was down here sometime. <laughs> ben, Pat, where are you? <laughs> I don't sound very well today, Ben. No, uh, well, Pat, that's another story. I think it's strep throat. Right. Okay. Well, I'm just going up to see Al for some whiskey. <laughs> oh my God! But I mean, what a gig to get, though. You know, uh, uh, Pat, he's so iconic, isn't he? You know. Yeah, it was. It was, and they were lovely to work with. I mean, it, and what a, a phenomenal animation because the craft that goes into that is yeah, it is really something. You know, when we we would get the finished. In fact, well, I think the scripts we recorded many of them just dry and then they would go away and animate some of it and come back and you'd pick bits of it up but CGI it was something like six seconds a day when we did 2D TV so even that six seconds were mm. uh, it, w it was really impressive and it's got I don't know if it's improved much because I know that um, I think Hartman do things like you know they'll do a cell animation first yeah. and they'll go do claymation the, the process is so exhaustive it's so, so exhaustive that they you know, it's it's not really that well known just how much. Yeah. Goes in. I mean, how long would it take to do one episode? I'm assuming you would do like I don't know five episodes in one go, kind of thing. Well, we yeah, we recorded. Um, I think they were only about between thirteen and twenty minutes, depending on. Mm, yeah, yeah. Episode it was, but we would record them over a um, normally a four hour period, and usually you would do three episodes in every four hours. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite forensic. It was, uh, it was, because I think that, uh, well, of course, I hadn't been the character before. Yeah. Initially, I had to sort of, you know, make sure that everybody was happy with the toy. No, I mean, I, I suppose you would have come out there not knowing who you were. Do you know what I mean? Like, who, who am I anymore? I don't even know uh, what my accent sounds like. Yeah, well, it was a bit. Sometimes you, that that could happen. You know, you would be in a character, and you'd be sort of, you know, slightly rough around the edges when you exit the building. Ah, yes, it was it was a lovely experience because a friend of mine also got to make the movie, got to write the movie, Kim Fuller, and we write together often, and he he did a fantastic job on it. And then, so there's only I think been three Postman Pats: there's mm. me, Ken Barry, and Stephen Mangan. It's an exclusive club. It's an exclusive <laughs> club. Yeah. Well, then there's no no it's uh, Love Monster. That's I'm 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 Elder Kitten on there. Hey, 
So it's like this. <laughs> and uh, and Doctor Piggles is a bit of a. And uh, the character caricatures for me in animation that you can sort of base them on uh, impersonations. You distill them down from that, or they're just just out and out somebody you know. Yeah, no, it's funny though, isn't it? How how funny people. A lot of funny people have gone into voice acting, like John John Sparks, obviously from yeah. from Absolutely. Him and Peppa Pig and Fireman Sam and Shaun the Sheep and you know, oh, yeah, yeah. There's so much, and Morwenna, obviously Morwenna from uh, Absolutely as well. She does a lot of voiceover work, so it's you know, it's obviously in the the comedy genes there somewhere. This this voice uh, voice work. Yes, but alas, we're not farting through silk in the south <laughs> of France, Paula. <laughs> Maybe the halcyon days of this. Uh, Indeed, it's a skill there is. I'm telling you, it's a proper yeah, it's to skill. negotiate a contract. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, as an as an actor, I mean, you've been you've done a lot of things. I loved The Lost King quite recently. Oh, thank you. Um, oh man, I loved it. Oh yes, I can. It's a, it's a true story. It's loved beautiful. it. And um, how weird a story as well to find them under the letter R in a car park. So, but such a you know you'd think it was a, a made up story, but like if you hadn't heard about the whole. Richard the Third being found under a under a car park thing. You you'd think, oh, this is this is total bullshit, you know? Yeah, right. someone's just made up. It's uh, completely yeah. Well, there was an audition in lockdown, and uh, right. Stephen and Frears auditioned me in in my wee sort of makeshift booth in Glasgow, and it's just <laughs> hilarious. Normally I'm sort of sitting in the in the if I get an audition out of it, then you're sort of in the room with them, and they're sort of getting to know you that way but this was a sort of 10 minute 15 minute audition yeah and then i got the part yeah and sally hawkins oh my goodness yeah she's amazing isn't she, isn't she incredible everything everything she does is gold <laughs> literally she's never done a bad thing in her life yeah she was brilliant in the film and it hinged on you know the conceit of it you know hinging on this apparition that she sees mm. um i think stephen Frears did an amazing job in sort of conveying that to us, for us to believe it um, and, and kind of go with the story. And, you know, and because it was, a, it's a true story. Yeah. I don't know if that becomes any easier. How do you get that across? Because it's such a bizarre coincidence. It's, yes. It is a, an unbelievable coincidence that actually happened. But I mean, Leicester University came off pretty badly, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I came out of there going, oh, God. I bet Leicester University were watching this going, oh, my God. We really need to lower our fees. Oh, dear. Um, and you've also done Toast. You uh, you're in yeah. Toast of Tinseltown. I mean, that must have been great. I mean, Matt, well, <laughs> working, with, working with Matt, you know. I love Matt. He's great. And um, it's just incredible. He's a musician. He's a writer. He's yeah. An actor. He's so talented. He's It's, it's like... An embarrassment of riches. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and hangs around with my heroes. You know, in music, even just in music, he's got, you know, he's Jean-Michel Jean, Vangelis, people that he, um, he's he been, if not um, compared to, uh, works with, you know, Peter Gabriel. <laughs> and he loves what we do. Yeah. Mimics. He loves voices and he... We'll message each other almost daily, you know, just a little funny thing. I'll come into our mind, a little voice on WhatsApp or something. We send, we both love Tom Baker use. <laughs> ah. Oh, my God. <laughs> ah, yes, Paula. Well, of course, that's a thing about it, you see, that it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to come on this podcast <laughs> to chat about things that are vocal. Oh, Tom was my doctor. <laughs> oh, hey, well, uh, 
Tom was my doctor. Oh, my. Your prognosis is interdimensional. Culture does a great Tom Baker as well. It's, we we share we share voices. We do, and um, I remember Wogan was one that we we did. We also saw. Oh, your Wogan is classic. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Paula. And there she is there, sitting wherever she is, talking on the old telephone wire via the digital. And here they are with a new single. Um, so he uh, approached me and his director, Michael Cummings, brilliant. And um, I'd worked with Mike on um, the Peter Serafinovich show because Pete and I were writing a Radio 4 series together back in the day. And um, we both got Star Wars episode one at pretty much the same time. And uh, certainly the audition, he came up to me and he said, hey, my agent's put me forward for, for Star Wars. And I said, oh, that's great. Thinking, well, why didn't my agent not put me forward? <laughs> and, uh, and he generally offered to give them my reel, and uh, and he did. And uh, it's just so amazing that you'd be going off of this film that you're such a massive fan of and, and would strike that and actually give the person somebody else is real I mean that's yeah I'm like you're part of the Star Wars family do you know what I mean like you said about doing stuff in front of George Lucas yeah <laughs> I I mean it, it was it was amazing title baptism of fire you know well we um, we were writing together uh, Radio 4 and I don't know how I jumped off talking about uh, Matt but the the voice toast that's right because Mike um, hired me he was a director on, on, his, on Pete's TV show and when he hooked up with Matt for toast my name came up to play. I think I actually I did a table read where I was playing in voices through it, you know, for the series. I have a yeah. read through of the series, and I did uh, a number of characters for him. And then he hired me on series three in in Vision to play Stanley Kubrick, which was, oh, was just so much fun. And he says, you know, I remember Mike saying to me as we, we we left, he said, if we get a series four out of this, he says, I want you to play Orson Welles. Well, then that was 2015, and then sort of 2021, uh, here I am out in France, middle of lockdown, thought it would never happen. Yeah, yeah. And get back to London to, to play Orson Welles. It was just <laughs> amazing. Anyway, but your CV must be ridiculous. My stomach was ridiculous, that was the thing. I, I mean, I, I, he said, uh, he said, don't worry, Lewis, we're going to get you a fat suit. And I turned up when there was no fat suit. I was mortified. I thought, did I really look that big? But I, it, I have lost about four stone, you see, and then feeling much better for it. But it was um, what he did with the filming of it was turn it into you know this proper rosebud. It, it just it was so good what he did, and um, I'm so happy with that because it was that sort of day in, in acting. You think, oh, this is this is why I'm doing this. This this is the thing. It's because I know the voice. I feel yeah, I can, yeah. I can live in this character. I'm with friends. It's it's a great atmosphere on the floor. We're having a laugh. You know, oh, it was just, it was a perfect day that. It really was. It was great. Yeah. I mean, you, you've done everything. I mean, as you were saying there, Star Wars, you did the Star Wars video game. You've done the Harry Potter video games. Well, the Harry Potters, I was um, both Dumbledores, I think. Yeah. Michael Gambon and Harris and um, Japanis and... God, what an actor he was. And I loved it. You know, that was the thing as well. These YouTube wormholes, you just sit and watch them all on chat shows. Yeah. Pace are tall and all this paper. And, you know, they're all, they're all sort of, you know, you know, great rack on turbers, you know. I love them. Let's see. I mean, how does it work with prep for a job? Are you kind of, are you a hardcore prepper? Or do you? 
I don't know. How does it work? When you, you know you've got a gig, like you're talking there about Awesome Wheels. When you know you've got a gig, how much prep do you generally do before I, before a job? We get, I think that I get this script maybe three weeks before we recorded it. Right, okay. So the, and I wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount to say, but the, there was one line in it, which he said, I want this delivered with flair, you know, things that we've had. It was him talking about wine. And at the top of my head, it was something like, it's a, a Dumil Dusset Petit Cortat, Ancien Vigne Sans Sir. It's an excellent vintage. So uh, my wife's French, and so I got properly taught how to say the wine. So when I turned up on the set, at least I knew <laughs> what wines to talk about, and I could riff a little bit in the character. But it, I'm not great at learning lines. I'm, I'm reasonably atrocious at it. And I find, I guess the... You know, I wrote, we wrote a tour last year for a character I did called Ramon with mm. Baptiste. Yeah, we'll get on to it. We'll, we will get on to Ramon. I've got a lot to, <laughs> a lot to ask right. about well, Ramon. <laughs> you know, live work and learning, mm. man, I find it's a process of contradicting yourself. But when you're in the moment and you're given, like I was aiming Andrews for Endeavour, also in 21. Yeah. We had to do this. You know, it's the, the, the whole thing. And, and with Eamon Andrews, you know, remember he did that thing. We went... You started your career back in 1967. You moved over from, you know, and it, and it was all lists. And in one paragraph, you yeah. had so much detail. I find things like that quite difficult to memorize. And I've got no other means to really block it in than just reading it constantly and phoning mm. up. My director friend, Brendan O'Hare, genius. He can, I don't know why he does, but he gets you to he'll block the lines into your head. He's, he's a phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, do you have a favourite aspect of what you do? Obviously, as I said before, you've got all these different facets to to what you do, your voiceovers, your impressionist side, your acting side. Do you have a, a, a favourite? Um, I mean, I know a lot of people would say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm quite happy doing lots of different things. And I'm, I'm assuming that's probably what you're going to say. It depends what mood you're in. It depends how right. cool it is. Okay. I think it's all, I don't know if it's biorhythms or where your head's at, but I think it's... Um, it doesn't get any easier as you get older to to memorise things and so yeah, yeah. Um, the athletic nature of running around solo in the nineties where we were jumping from <laughs> John, was was great for the self and great for hey I'm doing this today but I've ever and it's, yeah and yeah it was, these were beautiful moments because for me you're kind of just going from job to job to you know first of all you're employed thank God and mm. you're also making people laugh and you're entertaining it was that, that those were cracking experiences but the you know, the limitations that you have to um, accept that, you know, you're physically as fit as you were, it gets a little bit more difficult. I think then you just sort of naturally want or desire to be commensurate with what the industry expects of you and what you can give them. Um, I, I love doing voice work and I love performing. And I think that the way it seems to be going is there's more use with green screen. There's Oh, yeah. Activity. So I like the remote nature of it. You know, you can be anywhere. And I, I just like being able to give the client something and say, like, you know, trust me with this. this real. And again, it's a working relationship that he yeah, built yeah. over years. Yeah. But um, I don't have an awful lot of experience as an actor. So I, I get slightly nervous if it's uh, some company. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> because it's true, you, you, you've got. You know, there's so many amazing actors that uh, are ahead of the curve, do you know? Yeah. I know what you mean. I don't think I know what I'm good at. I think as a character yeah. actor, I'm pretty good. I can, if I get the voice first, I think I'm all right. Yeah. I mean, is there anything on the bucket list 
that you would you'd still love to do that you you haven't really had the opportunity to yet well in voiceovers <laughs> hello uh, <laughs> available for work available for work uh was born that was one that came up i actually got the i got the part to play you know and just to do the bond is back i thought well i can't think you know because i've heard that for so many years uh that i got the chance to do it and then lockdown happened uh in film i think i'd love to get i'd like i'd like to play i mean i had the opportunity to play a president and um mm. and things that are oh you and jared butler in a film together that'd be amazing that, oh, he's, that one he did when uh we went to see it this year Oh, was it playing? Playing. He was really good. <laughs> oh, I really enjoyed that. Hi, Jerry's a good actor. But the no, I think that there was. I like because there's a, I'm a mimic. My strength is my voice. Yeah, yeah. If I get a character that um, say it was autobiographical, even if it was a small, just a you know hop in, hop out kind of thing, I'd love that if it was to get to get into a character where you could you know that I get to use my voice. Get, yeah. To, to know that that one bit's ticked off and then build it around the physical and then learn the lines and hopefully knock it out of the park. I'd love that. That's the, it's parts that, that give me the chance to use my, my, yeah. use my voice. And that, because that's, I guess, where I start from. Hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely going to start petition for you and Jared Butler to. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to get into the gym, Paul. Come on. Wouldn't that be amazing? You could be the president figure. And Gerald Butler's out there just kicking, <laughs> kicking, kicking seven shades out of all, the, all the people that are trying to kill Eisenhower. I think it was it was Eisenhower, and then hired a director to help me. Yeah. Oh, they keep knocking out these, that those action films with him and the him and a president. He's protecting a president. <laughs> Not a lot they have to do in film, you know. It's all dark and years, and it's all kind of there. Oh. Go in tomorrow morning. It's this sort of voice. Clint Eastwood did it. Why well, actor? I fired it. Six shots are only five. Whereas now, you know, he's. <laughs> It's down here. This is the voice he settled on. But, you know, Jerry's got that as well. You know, it's all down here. And he's playing it in Glaswegian as well. He's yes. got his own accent. It's when they do accents that they can't do it. It's almost quite entertaining, isn't it? Um, but, aye, these, um, and it's great if, you know, Liam Neeson, what an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. To be, um, I think he must have been about 55 when he did Taken. Yeah. I think it was... And so that, you know, old school Hollywood, you know, it's not the ageist Hollywood where it's ditching you when you're in your 40s. But, um, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't know what part this is, but I'm going to learn it. And I might be 75, but I'll still be leaping off tall buildings, believe me. He is one of those people, isn't he? You see him in film and then you hear him speaking in an interview and he's like a totally different person. He's like a, this, this very soft-spoken That's right. Northern Irish guy, you know. Well, Milton Irish, lovely. But um, yeah, he's uh, I've I've voice matched him a few times over the years. So we, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you last year when you were touring with your friend, an absolute legend of a man, Alex Lowe. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, Alex. Alex, he's so lovely. Clinton Baptiste's Paranormal Podcast. Um, your his nemesis. That's definitely his nemesis, uh, Ramon Tamine. Uh, you, I mean, you've worked with Alex for a good few years now and he speaks so highly of you <laughs> he's really so, so well, highly that's very sweet of him to do that <laughs> well Alex is he's one of the old solo chums I think I met him in 1996 he was going to have a voiceover and so was I we're just meeting in Lexington Street how are you oh, yeah no I wondered how that kind of that I probably won't call it a partnership but how did that how did you guys meet initially um well as I said we literally met in solo and we shared mutual friends and we didn't work together I don't think until 
um, we all went in to do Peter's show. In fact, I think mm. we Peter Surfer image show we were in. Um, we may have ships that passed in the night and ready of four and things like that. But uh, I remember he gave me a phone. Things must have been about I don't know, twenty eighteen or something. Like twenty nineteen. He said, "Look, I've got this character." Um, what he said, "I've got us. I've got a part that we need filled for this uh, phone in uh, that he's doing as Clinton." So we we kind of just you know we invented it there and then and that. And he says, "Well, well I suppose we'll need to give my name." So I come up with a name, and I just remember him saying, "Oh, there's no another psychic with the same name." But um, I had a really bad cold, and I remember I was on the phone. We were over at my agency and Hobson's and we we uh, did it over the phone and we just riffed it. One, one take. The one where they're talking about channeling Michael Jackson was literally... <laughs> well, no, no, he's with me now. He's here. He's in the No, no, no. He's here. He's here with me. He's just giving me a high C. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. The dog god girl is mine. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, uh, he's here with me. And uh, it was just, it was so funny. I thought, wait a minute, this is really good. So we came back. And the thing I loved about it as well is I could talk about it. And Paula, I really have to share this with you. I went to see a sister in Canada, in Toronto. And this craft descended out of the sky. And I could do it. And then <laughs> we just, just a load of pish. We'd just make up. Yeah, and then, you know. And we're talking about getting abducted by aliens. And oh, I mean, the funniest, we used to howl. We did that, and then in, in lockdown, it, it's kind of had been sent really because everybody's at home, and we did a few of them in lockdown. So I think the residue is on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, I mean the heal the healing festival when you were about sharing a tent. Oh my god! No, it was absolutely <laughs> mental. But the, I think I I can't remember we were in lockdown. So this needs to tour. We need to do something. Yeah, because and I, I we both. You know that way your minds are aligned. You kind of think the same. We kind of realised it had to be that Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, but what a spark of genius, though. The two of you are so like polar opposites. Right. <laughs> so I mean, was it hard to make him physical, a physical being? How did you make him into a physical person rather than a, this voice that we all kind of knew and loved? Uh, well, I, th I don't know. I think that it might have been the imagery of Siegfried and Roy. No. Uh, you know, the sort of one blonde, one black hair. The sort yeah. Of, I, I, was, I wanted to make him on the stage with bolts of lightning sticking out his shoulder, but we just figured it's just logistically going to be a nightmare. But we got fantastic costumes for the tour, and we got beautiful wigs. And, yeah. Um, and and the, the joy of it was to go, well, what if? Why don't we try this? You know, like, <laughs> you open up the second half with them talking about the elements and I, I wrote this thing and shoved it over to Alex and he said no no this is it this is great so we we didn't have to change much of that the writing of the show was um I took Alex's lead on that really because I would hire Alex to write my corporate so if I was mm. Trump if I went on as Trump I'd get Alex to I'd brief him and say look I need this you know like 40 minutes of this sort of stuff for whatever and these are the subjects and he would do it and he yeah he, Asked. So he's, oh, he's incredible. a writer for hire. Oh, I mean, it's extraordinary talent. And he, and he, the, what's so good about it is that the process that we came up with, again, writing remotely, forced you into doing, so I'd never written in Google Docs, but yeah. it's like page on front of the screen. You have to fill it with something. So yeah. we didn't just sit about discussing comedy for four hours and then eventually writing <laughs> the sentence. We were off to the races from the, from the off. So we had a working draft. 
fairly early in the process and yeah. the chance to refine it over the, the subsequent weeks. And then I found that, that touring for me was, I, I loved it. It was, you know, the, but the traveling was, was yeah. knackering. Yeah. Not coming. Um, yeah. It was, I mean, we did something like 50 days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there were the roars that would go up in beautiful moments. You know? It was so physical as well. Like, I mean, I don't know how you were both totally knackered by the end each night, you know. Well, it, it was, I, well, I, I shifted about a stone and a half and waiting <laughs> at the end of it because but then there was so many layers to the costume. There was I, I, on the stage completely forgetting to put one of the jackets on. I got I on the stage. And he's looking at me, he's going, ah, rah, rah, rah. but I'm getting this look. And I, like, I look down and I'm like, oh, geez, I forgot to put the jacket on. There was things like you know. <laughs> it was one night. I think we were in Leeds. We came. I came on with a wee suitcase. Yeah. With part of the suitcase, but the stage was on a slight rake, on the, <laughs> and the and the suitcase just slowly started to roll down to the front of the stage. And I said, "Look, there's spirits of stage tonight. Look at that." <laughs> and Alex, he fell out. He said, "We're channeling Freddie Laker." <laughs> Um, and the audience, I mean, because the audience just went with that. They loved it because they didn't ex- They can see that that's just not prepared, you know. Yeah, I mean, was that was there a lot of improvisation? Were you? Yeah, I'm assuming you were both. You both had kind of free reign to. Well, we did. About... We were we were more disciplined than we could have been actually. But when we went in at the audience, yes, we yeah. both embellished those bits to the point where I think I started channeling. Sure, I said. <laughs> I was getting chased by T-Rexes and all that. <laughs> and probably just opened up, because the audience are not there to see me in a way. They, they, they've heard of Ramon, and, but a lot of them, it was it was Clinton's show. Yeah, yeah. I think by the end, they, they really saw us both as a, as a pairing, you know, and that was lovely. Because that bit where he goes off the stage and I've got to stand there and do my monologue, and I, I think I, I channeled Jeremy Vibe. <laughs> Terry Wogan. Oh my God! Yes, Barbara. Your Stephen Hawking was incredible. Yeah. Stephen's here. Hang on a minute, Paula. Stephen's here. Oh, it's not when it's Stephen. How are you? Okay. And um, <laughs> he was a a great character to bring in, and that, and and also Wogan. We did a bit of Wogan as well. Um, and and Clinton's mother. How dare you? My boy, Clinton, my baby boy, Clinton, after all the hurdles he's been through in his life. Age six, he spent months in a bell jar. <laughs> um, I, it, it was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do something else with it, whatever that might be, you know. Yeah, no, it was, just, it was nice to see Ramon as a, as a physical entity after, you know, you kind of imagined, you know, obviously, you know, with radio, you have radio and podcasts and things, you have an imagined vision of what the person looks like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do. It's true that, yeah. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I I didn't really know what kind of look to go with him uh, originally, but I think that because just a lot of black, <laughs> well, yeah. Because he's Clinton's soul. That that's a, that's an easy set design, an easy sort of look for them. You know, like this angelic. <laughs> well, I said if you ever do the O2, I said you've got to come in with wings on for the ceiling. <laughs> but the wigs, the wigs were incredible. They were. Oh, I have absolutely. a brilliant. Yeah, they were really good. They stunk great enough by the end of the tour. <laughs> Fifty shows away on that David Coverdale rock win. <laughs> the wig would have crawled off the stage. <laughs> I tell you, Paula, it nearly did. It nearly very well did. And we were in the stand in Edinburgh 
Yeah. That was quite a stage. It was about the size of a postage stamp. But I, yeah, he's a he's a cracking character to play. He's very. Oh no, he definitely needs to. He definitely needs to continue with his, with his endeavour. You know, put Clinton in his place. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of the put downs were rancid. Oh my god! Listen, you see there going on. Wild. Did he really? Did he really just say that? <laughs> I know. I know. I was. I was insane. Um, what well, some of the stuff? I poor <laughs> mother's your poor mother died in a rickshaw scooting across the road. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of bad mouthing each other's yeah. mums. <laughs> yeah, it's back cruel, you know. <laughs> anyway, so moving on. Uh, so, would you have had any sort of comedy heroes growing up? Who would have, who would you have kind of looked up to comedy wise? Um, would, would it have been the the Mike Yarwoods and the Janet Browns? Uh, yes, all of them, all of the above. Um, Kenny Everett, all the American mimics, Frank Gorshin and uh, Rich Little. Uh, any any American shows that we could get, we would devour them, you know. But the I think I was but it, the more formative years I had, I think, with um, wanting to be a performer, um, it was I watched a lot of sketch comedy, you know, things like The Goodies. Yeah, I was a massive fan of The Goodies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Python, as to say, Everett was a massive. Mm. Billy Connolly, yeah. Cupid stunt. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did all the characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he started in radio too, radio as well, didn't he? He was, you know, doing doing his thing long before his, his TV stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, but that's it, because he did all his own jingles. He, the things that man could do with the audio tape. He was so clever. Ah, uh, yeah. What a, what a brilliant, funny man. And it was the first time it ever, ever occurred to me, it's that thing of, there's no audience here. There's no yeah. laughter. It's the crew that are laughing. You know, yeah, that makes you realise what could be possible. Yeah, phenomenal. And um, Rowan Atkinson, not Clock News, you know, and I'm I'm grateful, you know, that, you know, but John Lloyd is, is somebody I know very well and he, he's just fantastic, you know, and to be able to work with people like that that have these kind of stellar careers that, that they can really teach you as well, it's a real, it's a real privilege. Yeah, I know, I mean, you must be continuously learning. Do you know what I mean? They they never say they say that you never totally master your your skill kind of thing, you know. So you must still be still be learning as you're. Completely, yeah, absolutely. Working. I think, yeah, you you do. You have to challenge yourself. Mm. I think I'll probably contradict myself here, but you know, <laughs> you know, coming from he's he's got a good face for radio. The hell he? It takes a bit of getting used to, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about music now. Um, so, have there been any music, major, major music <clears throat> loves in your life, be it a band or a, or a particular artist? Um, well, my brother introduced me to rock, so post punk, that kind of new romantic, so all that new romantic era, mm. Floyd, very much so. I, I, I like funk, I like jazz, I like and I love film soundtracks. I collect them, and I play a bit of piano. I'm not very good, but. Uh, It'd be so difficult to sort of stand out. But Floyd, very much so. Mm-hmm. I think Pink Floyd, um, composers, John Williams. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith, Chic, you know, Nile Rogers, Mike Oldfield, all that. Yeah. Sonic, Michelle Jarre, phenomenal, Kraftwerk, 
that's yeah. Try to think of all the groups that I. That's the thing. It's very. It's a very kind of common thing, isn't it, for older brothers, for the younger brothers to basically catch on to what the older brothers are. Older brothers. Well, they like they they had. The, I remember the B fifty twos. They were a big influence. Yeah. Layering out. I love the B fifty twos. Fantastic. So I they listened to. I kind of latched on to as well. You know, madness. Ska was big in our house as well, which was I loved it. You know, still do listen to Frank, Fun Boy Free, all that. Really, mode. I, I like the electronic music. I loved. I've always enjoyed that. They're brilliant, and so yeah, whatever was on up the stairs, its <laughs> way into the, <laughs> to my bedroom. So my cloud house was rare, was raucous. Oh yeah, well, like they had they had a proper. There was three turntables in the house. There was oh my god, parents had. So he was my father. He was blasting out Rimsky Korsakov. Share his ad. Callum's upstairs. Donald up the stairs playing the B fifty twos, and I'm downstairs with a Frisco disco, which was a toy that I could play. It worked. It had a needle, and you could play stuff on it. Um, scratching everything. Oh, sorry, what was that? So we ba 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 just ruining all my any vinyl that I managed to get my hands on. <laughs> I mean, would you have been a, a gig goer? Um, I went to see my brother because he supported Public Image in nineteen. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and I know John Lydon now. I know John quite well. Yeah, mutual friends. So I, that was really cool to meet John. And so yeah, we went to the Apollo to see my brother, and that would be like nineteen eighty-three. But I might be the first gig. I think uh, it probably would have been nineteen eighty-three. Yeah. Um, and we went to a lot of shows to see. Donald played before that, but first proper, you know, big stuff gig, that would be it. Wow. But you know, I mean, how do you follow that? How do you follow it? Probably had a balcony that it was really dangerous, you know, it bounced, the balcony bounced. I mean, it could have fallen down at any moment. I mean, we were sitting <laughs> up the stairs and this balcony was just bouncing and we're going, we're, we're going to die. John Lydon came out and the audience are gobbing on him, you know, and he's just standing there, you know. Yeah, I remember going to see Chrissy Hind at, the, at his club, the average white band. I, was, I introduced them, uh, the old hall. They're a triangle, brilliant band. Aye, just amazing. But it's it's very difficult because it is quite an exhaustive list. I didn't really, ah. just doing this off the top of my head and kind of going, right, well, these are the kind of, you know, performers I like. Yeah, I mean, do you have a, a favourite, most memorable, memorable gig you've ever you've ever been to? Uh, Ramstein was pretty mental. Oh my god! Bank it back and off out of the auditorium because it was the loudest. That and Kraftwerk was the two loudest gigs. And Tina Turner was amazing. So it must be like thinking about and looking back and uh, listening to the, some of the voices you've done. Do you get, do you ever get feedback from people that hear you? <laughs> hear you like Jeremy Vine? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. I mean, I'm assuming he's heard you. I oh he's just pretty cool about it. He he said I'm actually I'm now doing you doing me. <laughs> yeah, he um when Steve Wright was playing Steve Wright in the afternoon, Lewis. Whenever Steve was playing my clips, those we songs I put together on his show, he, he would make a remark on his show. I think I'm beginning to sound like Lewis doing me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but you and Alex were on uh, Steve Wright, weren't you? We're doing the yeah. Wright's afternoon show. Yeah, oh, Steve's the master. He's the man. Yeah, oh. so good. I mean, that there's a kind of just a simplicity about it, you know, and you have little sections. You have... Yeah. No, I remember him from the, you know, the Radio 1 road shows back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Factoids, all these little chapters in the yeah. show. Yeah. 
Oh well, so again, it's a voice that you grew up with. I was, yeah, I was gutted work. when they. I was gutted when they took him off the afternoon on radio. He's still around, I think. He, I know he's he's still doing the, the love songs and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. But like to replace him, <laughs> I was like, what? Are you doing? Irreplaceable. Right, he's good, amazing. And I, you know, it's a voice that I, I haven't really done his voice very often to him, but I don't think I can really. I mean, what? I, I got, Ken Bruce. You must do. Uh, uh, we walk. Uh, Ken Bruce. Ah, uh, there we go. Ah, uh, Bob Master. It's all sort of there, isn't it? I don't know. Yes. Oh, Brian is very... See, Radio 2 should have, could have got you in to, to be Ken's place. I would love to cover on Radio Wouldn't that be amazing? I would be made up. They were like, Ken has not really left. He's just he pretended to leave, but he's actually... There used to be a guy on Saturday called Adrian Just. Do you remember how many was... Adrian would come on and play comedy clips. And it was, it was a great <laughs> afternoon show. Yeah. And it came on just before, all right, pop pickles, I'll have a whole lot of not All that, you know, straight at number 10. All right, right. I mean, guys like that, though, they're an impressionist dream, aren't they? Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, even when you see what Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse were doing, you know, with Smashy and Noisy. That was so funny. Well, I, I, I've been on, I, I was on Harry and Paul. I played, hey, I played Paul, you know, played Paul McCartney. Thanks very much. Hey, great times. <laughs> and uh, I think they wanted Peter Serafinovich originally, but he was, oh. and Pete recommended, Pete put me up for the job. Oh, excellent. And uh, um, I, I, and I worked with Harry once a year at the at the National Hapsy. I worked with him you never know, you know, I do, jobs are sacred. But um, <laughs> yeah, for, since about, I don't know when we did it first, 2003. Once a year at the Nash is uh, Harry. He's like, hello, Liz, you all right? Uh, She's all right, isn't it? Well, this is a funny script. What do you think, Liz? I like it. It's very funny. And uh, and Paul's just so funny. I'm, oh, my goodness. Yeah, just genius. You hear, you hear people, them. people having funny bones, but I mean... Oh, I, they've got them. They've got them. They've got them. Yeah, even the, the stuff that Paul Whitehouse, Paul's doing with Bob now. With Bob Mortimer, just you know, officially. There's a format. Two men. I mean, like who? Who would have believed four series later? I don't know. That they'd still be a minute. It's just them pissing about on a on a riverbank. And that thing about their hearts as well seems so fundamental to it as well. The ship again, this kind of profound thing with it. You know, it's quite serious. Yeah, I think you need to get like I think you and Alex maybe should should do something similar. What you want? Get a high point. Hey, okay, up the mountain of cigarette, nicotine, I alcohol. It's <laughs> like Clinton and Ramon go on these adventures. I can't walk up these stairs, I tell you about Clinton, I'm absolutely <laughs> knackered. You're going to have to get a stand of chairlift in another mountain butler, are you? Oh, could you imagine it? That would be, that would be incredible. I need to start, pit- I need to start pitching that. <laughs> yes. So thanks so much for chatting with me today, Lewis. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. No, it's been great, Paula. Thank you.